Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. We're all intrigued by the dark side of humanity, even though we don't like to admit it. Because all you got to do is look at those podcasts. True crime podcasts are some of the most popular podcasts and shows on TV. And we all love a good whodunit type storyline in our soap operas. I've only been watching Coronation Street recently and there was a serial killer in it. It was actually, it was done really well. So I'm sure they took, you know, really expert advice on how the character should be played. He's dead now, by the way. Spoiler alert. He was run over in a car by a car, which kind of killed it for me, to be honest, which I thought they would have had a trial or something. Anyway, what this says about us, I don't know. But tonight, I'm delighted to be speaking to an expert. One of the darkest kind of humans, serial killers. Peter Vronsky, uh, PhD, is an investigative historian and former film and television documentary producer. He is also the author of Serial Killers, The Method and Madness of Monsters, Sons of Cain, A History of Serial Killers from Stone Age to Present, and Female Serial Killers, How and Why Women Become Monsters. His research and interviews have been featured in numerous books and television programmes. And he joins me on the line. Uh, Good evening to you, Peter. Good evening. Lovely to talk to you. Peter, when I say lovely to talk to you, it's a very dark kind of hobby that you have, isn't it? I suppose if you want to call it, for a better word, a hobby, isn't it? It's, it's, um, it's an obsession, I guess, um, or a burden, <laughs> both. Uh, but I am a historian, so, so um, it, it kind of is parallel. I mean, what is history but the history of murders? So yeah. it's just private little murders. I mean, you hold a PhD from Toronto University in the field of criminal justice history and history of espionage and international relations. Uh, but I suppose, yes. what? because I've been watching TV show at the moment. Most people don't admit to watching a program called Coronation Street here in Ireland and, and the UK. And at the moment, there's a serial killer in it. Well, he was just killed the other night. He killed four people. And the guy that played the role was really good. I'm sure they took some advice from somebody like you on what a person like that thinks like. But what makes somebody a serial killer? Is it just one? Oh. Is it one kill initially because it's kind of spur of the moment, and then they kind of enjoy it and decide to keep doing it, or what? Are they just are they predisposed to that? Every um, serial killer is an individual um, story in itself, and, and really none are the same. So sometimes um, they fantasize about doing these things since the, you know, as early as the age of five. Wow. Sometimes um, they're committing another crime and they kill someone unintentionally and it turns them on. Um, Sometimes it's um, something they've, you know, always wanted to do. and, and, And we know this, that statistically the average age that they commit their first murder is around 27, 28. That's so actually older than I expected. Yeah. yeah, but that's actually, that's what I was going to say. It's older than I expected. I was expecting you to say 18 or 19. No, that's rare. Um, 27, 28 is the average age. And so if you think about, um, uh, um, and it's mostly males, if you think about a, a, a boy um, fantasizing from the age of five or six, um, we're, we're talking about a 20-year gestation period where they, they 
test their fantasies out. Um, they very slowly escalate to that, you know, first murder. And um, once, um, you know, they cross that um, line, very few go back, especially the ones who have been fantasizing. In fact, um, it becomes kind of an addiction for them because the problem is, of course, is they find comfort in their fantasy. But once they've acted out the fantasy, they realized it's not like the way they fantasized it. And so now... Um, they're, they can't return back to the fantasy because they've lost that. And so all they can do is try to improve on it by trying it again. And, and so then you get that mm -hmm. kind of circular serial way where, you know, they hope that the victim did something else or they made an error or something did not give them the satisfaction. And, and, and so it's this, this kind of compulsive, um, repetitious, addictive process and and it can go in different directions i mean some are they intelligent out. are they sorry for interrupting but are they intelligent do do serial killers generally on average have an, a high iq or a low iq are they intelligent like they ted are, bundy ted bundy was a quite an intelligent person um they are they are of average to below normal intelligence so that's okay. a myth um that they're intelligent what they are is they're very cunning they have an animal instinct to uh, people's vulnerabilities. They um, are very good um, psychologists. They, um, you know, can almost read your mind. But um, again, it's it's an animal instinct that we mistake for intelligence. Serial killers are, are they're not Hannibal Lecter geniuses. Very few um, are above average intelligence. And are we all? capable of being a serial killer i read somewhere maybe you'll correct me if i'm wrong that human beings are nine times more likely to kill each other for no reason in the animal kingdom than any other animal in other words other animals kill for prey they kill for food they kill for whatever it is we tend to kill for enjoyment well not all of us obviously as uh, some of us do um, are we all capable of killing people or is it only a certain percentage of the population are capable of something so horrific you know, we're all capable of, of, of killing. And I think all of us have at some point said, you know, I could just kill him or I could just kill her. Um, and, and, you know, most people who commit a, um, a murder regret it. And they don't do it again. Very few people will repeat a murder, you know, cool off and think it through and then repeat it again. Um, and well, that's what makes serial killers so different is that um, they have no remorse. They, um, I don't know if enjoy is the right term, because you've got to remember, too, that often it's not about the killing. Uh, for some serial killers, the actual killing is a chore. It's something else they want. They may mm -hmm. want to have a particular um, sexual experience, or they may want to have your liver. Um, one serial killer... He, he described it as um, evicting people from their bodies. Wow. And, and so killing for them, you know, we often can't understand it because killing is such a taboo. And, and we can't understand how could possibly someone want to do this. And in fact, many of them don't. Many of them are willing to kill you 
just for something else, but for them it's a chore. Others are thrilled by the very act of taking a life. I, I was going to say, is there also a thrill in getting away with it? You know, that, the idea of covering it up or where they're going to put the body and, you know, not leaving any evidence. And is there is there a thrill in that as well, the getting away with it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and there's a, it's... it's um, we would say that the main central motive for serial killers is uh, control. Yeah. And, and so, so they're narcissistic. They have this, yes. Yes. It's, it's an enormous amount of control that they have over, not only over the victim, but over society, over the community, over a neighborhood where they strike. I mean, that's why some killers, although it's rare, but, you know, serial killers sometimes write letters to the media or to the press. Um, you know, there's a big question, of course, whether Jack the Ripper actually authored those letters in, in Whitechapel. Uh, mm -hmm. But, but um, a lot of serial killers, you know, they look at what other serial killers do as role models. And, and certainly Jack the Ripper, um, serial killers will, like the BTK killer or Son of Sam, write letters and that gives them as well a lot of control as they watch um you know these letters being published and reporters asking questions and police investigating it gives them a lot of lot of sense of control and, and accomplishment mm. is there something wrong with it because when i watched you know the documentary about alien awareness and people have often said it in relation to alien awareness that you can see evil in her eyes do you believe that people are born evil or, or is, you know, it's kind of the nature, not nurture argument? I mean, when you look at Alien Awareness, and I'm sure you, you're well aware of who she is and you've studied her quite intently because she's probably one of the most famous ser female serial killers. I mean, are people really monsters? Are there some people that are just monsters and evil? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a, a kind of a joke I make uh, that we really don't know enough and that it's a little bit too early for us to just write off um, old-fashioned biblical evil. And, um, you know, in the case of Eileen Werner's, however, I would have to say, if you read her biography, her childhood history, um, I think what you see in her eyes is not evil, but just rage um, of what was done to her as a child. Um, mm -hmm. Serial killers often, before they victimize somebody, become, um, you know, they are victims themselves first. So in many ways, it's, it's, it's about revenge, it's about control, it's about regaining the control they lost as, as children. And, um, you know, Eileen Wernus is certainly an interesting case because um, she was a female. Um, she used a handgun, which is unlike female serial killers. And, and of course, she kind of reversed the often um, sex workers are the preferred victims of serial killers for multiple of reasons from convenience to ideological uh, but she reversed that she she herself was a sex worker who um, preyed upon customers mm -hmm. and and um, she was you know the story I think when we say we see evil in in, in, in someone I, I think we're reading into that but I wouldn't write it mm -hmm. off we we have okay. not found the X factor. Here's the thing. You've got millions of children who are abused, who come from dysfunctional families. Very few of them become serial killers. 
And, and so what's the X factor? Why does one abused child become a, a functional member of society and yet another uh, becomes a serial killer or something in between? We, we just don't know. It's, it's a cocktail of, okay. of factors. And, and you've studied, obviously, quite a lot of serial killers. I was going to ask you something silly and say your favorite, but who do you think you're, when I say favorite, that would be insensitive. Who is the most intriguing or the one that you, you're you just blown away by, you know, the, the trouble they went to, the depths of depravity, maybe? or I mean, who is the most intriguing serial killer well, as far as you're concerned? It's got to be the serial killer I'm working with right now, Richard Cottingham, the torso killer. Um, this is a serial killer who um, claims that he killed over 100 women in the United States between 1963 and 1980. He's been incarcerated um, uh, in 1980. He was caught. He was incarcerated for five murders. And then um, about 25 years later, he began a process of confessing. And um, he's now up to 18 murders. And, wow. um, of course, I, I've been interviewing for five years. I, I was instrumental with my partner, who passed away recently, in um, assisting in at least nine cold case closures in the last 18 months. So he's an old man. He um, is uh, he's, um, 76 years old. And... Uh, he physically, if, if you Google him, he looks like Santa Claus, um, and, and he is remarkable in the sense that he was a serial killer before we even had that word, serial killer. That's a very relatively recent term. It really wasn't in use until around 1981-82. It enters the public lexicon, the media starts using it, uh, but prior to that, we didn't have the word, we didn't have the concept. We knew there were, you know, we called them mass murders, we called them, you know, uh, sequential murders, multiple murders. We never had that term serial killer until recently. So he kind of comes from an age um, when he was arrested in 1980 and put on trial, he wasn't described as a serial killer yet. But by the time he went through the fifth conviction, uh, which was 1984, by then, suddenly he's called a serial killer. So he fascinates me in that he's kind of one of the last of the unknown, um, forgotten serial killers. He's, he's only and, and when you're hours. talking to him, sorry, sorry for interrupting, but when, when you're talking to him, when you're sitting talking to Richard, do, do you think he is remorseful? Is he sorry he did it? Does he no. regret doing it? No, no. Um, and he tells me straight up that he has, he doesn't understand remorse. He, um, I would describe him as cognitively remorseful in that he understands intellectually that um, he hurt a lot of people, a lot of families. He, um, you know, orphaned a lot of children, killing their mothers, and um, he regrets it, and he tries through confession to do what a remorseful person would do, but he does it intellectually, not emotionally. And, and he always reminds me of that. Um, in that sense, he's very honest. Um, he, he just says, you know, I, I, I don't have it. I don't have remorse. 
I don't know how it feels like, but I know I did wrong. Well, that, but that no kind of tells us, well, I suppose that kind of tells us that there, some, well, something is wired differently when they don't get social cues or they don't understand, well, I suppose when I say they don't understand, if they're not remorseful, well, then there's something lacking, isn't there? I mean, you know, I don't know if, you know, if we could even class people as being insane sometimes when they get to a point where they don't understand what they've done or they do from an intellectual point of view, but they don't from a humanitarian point of view understand what they've done. Yeah, you know, it's a, you know, part of it is, of course, psychopathy. And so one of the things about psychopathy, of course, is a lack of remorse, a need for excitement, um, a nonconformity. So there are all these different factors, and only one of them is a lack of remorse. Uh, but there's also this need to take risks, this need uh, to do dangerous things, and, and you know, very few psychopaths become serial killers. It's a very small percentage. Um, the majority of psychopaths um, are sitting in parliament or are, you know, are CEOs um, and, and or, or, you know, are... Yeah, we've, we've got a few are, of them here, too. We've got a few of them here as well. Yeah. So it is indeed this kind of cocktail of things that they're very rare. Uh, it's not, um, we only have, I think, roughly, we've ca calculated in, in history approximately maybe five or 6,000 serial killers. So if you think of um, how many people there, and that's around the whole world. So um, that's the ones we know of. So it's not a very common crime. It's, it's just one that is kind of spectacular and very visible and one that we pay attention to and captures our imagination, but they're they're very rare. I mean, I'm looking at some of our texts coming in from our listeners, and Martin says, "Can you ask him? Is there one common trait uh, with the motivation of all serial killers? Is there is there a singular common trait?" The most common thing is control. The need for control. Mm. It's 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 the absolute. Um, seems to be the, the most common thing is they need to control the victim, they need to control their own life, they need to control those around them, um, and, and it's, it's the ultimate act of control is when you take someone's body and, and you vacate them of their life and, and you take possession of their body. That's, that's you know, in, in, that, in the case of necrophile. Is that trait this, that trait? Is it the same trait that would be in men and female, you know, male and female serial killers? Absolutely, men and females. Um, females mm. will kill in a different way. Um, in fact, female killers are much more efficient than men. Um, uh, female serial killers have a, a career before they are arrested twice as long as a male serial killer. Um, wow. Partly because they don't do all the nonsense that male serial killers do. Um, you know, male serial killers need to torture their victim, abduct their victim, abuse their victim. Uh, females, uh, you know, they go straight for the heart. Uh, the kill is the most important thing. And, and, and so their, their female serial killers have been described as the quiet serial killers. They don't leave bodies in the schoolyard or by the side of the road. Often um, female serial killers will kill in places 
where people die, hospitals, uh, child care centers. Um, they often are uh, caregivers who take lives. And so sometimes the murders they commit, um, they will kill their own children. They'll kill um, family members. So um, we often don't realize, actually, that there are murders are occurring. It's, uh, the assumption mm -hmm. often is that this is a natural death. It's a myth that female serial killers are essentially black widows, you know, that kill their husband or kill a lover. Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's a myth. Some do. Some do. But, um, and often it's about control for them as well. Is there a difference in your eyes and your research between, say, mass murderers and serial killers? Because somebody sent him a text and said, you should ask him about Ted Kakiansky, who is the Unabomber. Um, in other words, somebody who wants to kill a lot of people at one time, you know, a shooter, essentially, or whatever, or somebody plants a bomb. Yeah. Is there a different motive behind that than somebody who wants to kill people individually? Absolutely. And, and, and um it's, you know, mass killers, they build up to this one single um, suicidal act. Often uh, mass killers are, are destroying themselves and taking everybody with them. So it's a completely different dynamic. Very few mass killers evade arrest. Um, I don't know what the percentage is, but, you know, so many do not survive. Um, often a mass killer, the last bullet he has is for himself or herself. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a different cathartic type of um, personality. And I, I'm not an expert on mass killers, but um, definitely serial killers are there to return and, and to, you know, continue doing what they're, they're doing. A mass killer just builds up to it and blows up. Is there a problem in society whereby we've now kind of glamorized serial killers to some degree? Oh, um, when we see the popularity of, of, you know, of crime podcasts or crime TV shows or whatever it is that we've kind of, there's actually this dedicated television channels just to, you know, 24 hours to kill and all these type of programs, you know, have we glamorized yeah, it? But, 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 you know, um, all these things that, you know, true crime is just uh, another version of the Bible. I mean, the, the ultimate uh, book on true crime, crime and punishment is are the scriptures. So this is something that's been in our culture, in our literature, um, and, and, and in all cultures, essentially. Mm. I mean, most religious scriptures are about crime and punishment and sin and, and so forth, right? And, and so true crime literature is about that. But um, I think the most obscene kind of glamorization of, of serial killers was that dreadful show, Dexter, which celebrated a serial killer killing other serial killers. Yeah. It was about but, um, vengeance, more so, yes, than anything yeah, else. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, in a way, I kind of have to defend myself because I'm part of that literature, and, and, and here we are doing this, this <laughs> podcast, where, where, yeah. whereas part of the, you know, it is what it is. And, 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 and what, what um, is the people obsession? People are fascinated, and it's mostly I, 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 was go, I was going to say, what, I mean, when you look at it, and I'm going to hazard a guess here, you'll know better than I do, the fascination is primarily female. So it's yes, women who yes. are more fascinated by this. Why, why is 80, that? 80% of my um, readers and letters I get are, are women. Absolutely. Uh, maybe because they feel that they are um, the victims 
often, and, and they are, I mean, statistically women um, are victimized by statistically majority of male serial killers, but, you know, male serial killers, of course, there are gay serial killers that target men um, and, and women who target men uh, and, and so mm -hmm. forth. And um, But definitely, I think because women just feel vulnerable, they want to know, you know, who the enemy is. Um, there's, there's some kind of compulsion that they have that um, they want to be scared. They want to read these things. I mean, um, a lot of women, young women, write to me asking, um, you know, they have fantasies of being serial killers. And um, I have letters from adolescent girls who mm -hmm. read my book, Female Serial Killers, and um, describe to me their fantasies and, and um, you know, ask me, what should they do? Are they going to be a serial killer? And all? Uh, wow. it's, 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 um, it's, it's a frightening thing. And, and, mm. and, um, yeah, it, it certainly you know, is. I, I try to assure them that it's one thing that, you know, fantasy sometimes are, are ways for us to let go of things and, and, and think through and why, things. Why, and why do you think America in particular, now obviously there's a bigger population, there's a large population, but in saying that, even when we look at countries with larger populations, they don't have as many serial killers. Why do you think the United States in particular seems to have more than its fair share of serial killers? Well, I've certainly had a fair share in, in, uh, in a period between 1970 and um, 1999. We had this kind of serial killer epidemic where... The um, Zodiac, you know, the Zodiac one. Yeah, there was one. yeah, the Zodiac, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, my guy... Um, they were all in, in, in that three-decade period where you had 83% of all known American serial killers made their appearance in that 30-year period. Um, and I, I mean, I, I, I certainly have a hypothesis that has to do with who their fathers were and what they experienced in the Second World War. Okay. And um, now that would have to, of course, apply to France and England. Uh, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, British soldiers that uh, came back, but um, I suspect that in in Britain, um, soldiers' trauma from the war was handled a little bit different than it was in the United States. It was much more repressed, um, and and what um, you know, it wasn't that good war that we've all described the Second World War, especially in the Pacific, where it was essentially a, a race war. And, and so a lot of soldiers came back um, traumatized from that war with no benefit of a PTSD um, diagnosis the way Vietnam veterans, for example, had. And, and so I ran across all these accounts of serial killers from that generation describing their wartime fathers as these kind of sullen men that kind of vanished in their life. Um, Certainly, the, the absence of a male father figure is a common theme in serial killer childhoods, whether they were, you know, war veterans or otherwise. Um, there is so that. I, so, are you of, saying of, statistically? Of okay, so you're saying statistically is killers are more likely to come from broken homes or single parent families. Yes, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Serial killers come from traumatic broken fam broken families make 
uh, for good serial killer spawning grounds. Absolutely. And is there is there any intervention, uh, you know, that can stop a serial killer before the first kill, which would prevent them killing in the first place? I mean, is there any way of, you know, of spotting this, or should we be doing that more often, or is there is there any way that we can? intervene and stop there is there is there intervention or is it just too late because you mentioned earlier on they're fantasizing about this since they're five years of age so you know are you ever can you stop them it's it's a utopian um notion i i i think there's at some point in one of my books i ended with with a thing just be kind to your children we got to take care of our children because if 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 children uh, one thing I, uh, about serial killers is they're very lonely as children, and there are reasons for that. Uh, sometimes they're rejected by peers, sometimes for good reasons. Um, often it's a combination of things, but one thing for sure is that s- serial killers are very lonely. And in that loneliness, they find comfort in fantasies. And if they are, on top of being lonely, bullied as well, they begin to develop fantasies of revenge and control. And then when they hit puberty, they begin to sexualize those fantasies. And, 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 and so it begins indeed very early. And, um, you know, it, the whole, it is a utopian idea that, you know, of, of course, if every family uh, took care of their children, every family was undamaged we would have no serial killers and we'd all be in paradise, right? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, it's intriguing. I, I, I could talk to you for hours, actually, because I'm, so many people are, are interested. I meant to text we get in. Somebody wants to know again the name of the serial killer you mentioned earlier, on. It was Richard. What was it? What was his name again? Sorry, the, the name of the serial killer, the one you interviewed Richard, yourself. Richard F. Cottingham, uh, an Irishman. Uh, in fact, wow. one of his... Um, ancestors uh, was a martyr in the Easter Rebellion, and the family ends up in uh, Mott Haven, the Irish um, quarter of New York City is where he's born. Um, Richard F. Cottingham, the Torso Killer. The Torso Killer. Okay, if anybody wants to look it up. But look, you have a, a, a lot of books out that people can read as well. You're an author as well. The Method of Madness of Monsters, Sons of Cain, A History of Serial Killers from the Stone Age to the Present, and Female Serial Killers, How and Why Women Become Monsters. And they're all available, I'm, assu- I'm assuming, on Amazon and all the usual places if people want to pick them up. Yes, they are. It's been wonderful talking to you, and it's also been interesting talking to you, and I'm sure we will speak to you again. Uh, Peter Vronsky, PhD, Thanks. listen. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. There you go. I thought that was very interesting, actually. And people have an obsession with crime. I know Jane has. She had a load of questions written down for me here because she's a real obsession. And it is. He he said it himself. It's 80% female women that have this kind of obsession, you know, with crime. Why is that? You know, well, Peter described why, exactly why he believes it is, because he believes that women believe they're vulnerable. Um, and also this idea that women write to serial killers on death row. What's that all about? And women get married to them. You know, they, they marry them while they're on death row or while they're on a, you know, a 50-year sentence or something like that for being a serial killer. They want to marry them. It's bizarre, isn't it? The world is a strange place. Real people, real opinions, Real Talk Radio, the multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show.